Part two, chapter five of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part two, chapter five. From that moment, Lygia appeared more rarely in the common room and still more rarely approached the couch of Vinitius. But calm did not return to her. She saw the patient's imploring eyes following her every movement, knew that he accepted every word of hers as a favor, felt that he dared not complain, through fear that she would shun him, and that she alone was joy and health to him. Her heart would overflow with compassion, but she saw that the more she turned away from him, the more she pitied him, and the tenderer were her feelings towards him. Peace forsook her. At times she strove to persuade herself that, in very truth, it was her duty to be with him constantly, first, because God taught that good should be returned for evil, and second, because by her conversation she could draw him towards the true religion. But conscience stepped in to accuse her of paltering with herself, of being influenced only by his charm and by her love for him. Thus she lived in a constant turmoil, which intensified day by day at times it seemed to her as though she were caught in the meshes of a net and that every effort she made to escape only entangled her the more she fain had to confess to herself that every day his face grew more necessary to her his voice dearer and that she needed all her strength to battle with the growing desire to sit by his couch when she approached him and his eyes brightened joy danced in her heart one day she observed traces of tears on his lashes for the first time in her life there came a wild desire to wipe them away with kisses frightened at the very thought full of contempt with herself she wept all through that night for himself he was as patient as though he had sworn himself to patience when at times his eyes flashed with impatience self-will and anger he repressed those feelings at once and looked anxiously at her as if craving her pardon this disarmed her the more never before had she had the feeling of being so much beloved at thought of it she felt at once guilty and happy Vinitius also was immensely changed. He showed less pride in his discussions with Glaucus. Often the thought came to him that this poor slave physician and the old barbarian Miriam, who surrounded him with care, and Crispus, whom he saw constantly immersed in prayer, were human beings. These thoughts amazed him, nevertheless they visited him. In time he came to love Ursus, and conversed with him all day long because it gave him an opportunity to talk about Lygia. The giant, for his part, was inexhaustible in tales. While rendering the meanest services to him, he began now to show him a sort of attachment. Though Lygia seemed to Vinitius a being belonging to another species, higher a hundredfold than those who surrounded her, none the less he began to have a fellow-feeling with poor and simple folk, something he had never experienced before in his life. He even discovered in them traits of character which he had never noticed before. Nazarius was the only one he could not endure. He felt that the youth dared to love Lygia 
for a time he restrained his feelings but once when nazarius brought the maiden a pair of quails purchased in the market with his own earnings then the descendant of the quirites asserted himself in vinitius the quirites in whose sight the alien wanderer from strange shores was lower than the meanest vermin hearing lygia's thanks he turned frightfully pale and when nazarius went out to get water for the quails he cried lygia canst thou bear that he should give you presents dost thou not know that his people are called by the greeks jewish dogs i know not how they are called by the greeks replied she but i know that nazarius is a christian and a brother astonishment and regret were in her eyes as she spoke she had grown unused to such outbursts he set his teeth to keep himself from telling her that he would fain order such a brother to be flogged to death or would send him to labor with chained feet in his sicilian vineyards but he restrained himself beat back his wrath and finally said lygia forgive me for me thou art the daughter of kings the adopted child of plautius he had so fully conquered himself when nazarius reappeared in the room that he promised him when he returned to his villa he would present him with a pair of peacocks or of flamingos of which his gardens were full lygia knew how dearly such self-conquest was purchased but the more often he achieved it the more her heart yearned towards him his merit in the case of nazarius was however smaller than she supposed vinitius might be momentarily angry with him but not permanently jealous the son of miriam in his eyes was a mere dog further he was still a mere child who if he loved lygia loved her without knowing what love meant harder battles must the young tribune fight with himself to submit even in silence to the honor with which these people surrounded the name of christ and his creed towards that creed he had taken up a strong attitude as the creed in which lygia believed he was ready to recognize it the nearer he approached to convalescence the more acutely he recalled the series of events which had flowed from that night at ostranium and the whole train of ideas which had since followed one another in his brain the more he marveled at the superhuman power of this religion which regenerated the soul of man from its foundations he perceived that there was something extraordinary in it something heretofore unknown on earth and he felt that if it could conquer the world and engraft into it its own love and charity an epoch would arise resembling that in which not jupiter but saturn had reigned he dared not doubt the supernatural parentage of christ his resurrection nor the other miracles the eye-witnesses who related them were too trustworthy and had too firm an aversion for lies to make it possible for him to believe that these things had never happened roman scepticism which rejected the gods accepted miracles Vinitius therefore found himself in the presence of a strange and insoluble problem. This religion seemed to him opposed to all existing order, utterly impracticable, and mad beyond any madness he had ever heard of. In his opinion, man in Rome and all over the world might be bad, but the extant order was good. If the Caesar of the day were honest, if the Senate of the day were composed not of depraved debauchees but of men like Thasca, what more could be desired? Nay, Roman peace and the Roman rule were good, social inequality was right and just. To Vinitius's mind this new creed must prove subversive of all order and all rule, must abolish all inequality. 
what would then befall the supremacy of rome could romans cease to govern could they recognize a herd of conquered nations as their equals this was beyond the reasoning powers of a born patrician furthermore this religion was personally repugnant to all his convictions his customs his character and his ideas of life he could not imagine himself existing if he accepted it he feared and admired it but acceptance was abhorrent to his nature at the end of all the ends he understood that this was the one thing which divided him from lygia when he thought of this he hated christianity with all the energies of his being none the less he could not fail to perceive that it had clothed lygia with that exceptional inexplicable beauty which had nurtured in his heart not only love but homage not only desire but adoration and had made lygia herself dearer to him than any other being in the world then the desire to love christ arose afresh he saw clearly that he must either love or hate no middle ground was possible two currents drove him from opposite sides he wavered in his thoughts and feelings he knew not what to choose he bowed his head and paid silent homage to that unknown god who was lygia's god lygia perceived what was going on within him how he strove to humble himself yet how his whole nature rejected the creed of christ on the one hand she was mortally grieved on the other this unacknowledged respect which he felt for christ inclined her heart to him with irresistible force she recalled pomponia Grisina and aulus for pomponia it was a source of constant sorrow and never drying tears that beyond the grave she would not find aulus lygia now grew into a completer understanding of this bitterness this pain she too had found a being who was dear to her and eternal separation menaced them both it is true that at times she deceived herself into the belief that he might accept the teachings of christ but this illusion could not last too well did she know and understand him vinitius a christian even in her inexperienced head the two conceptions could not blend if the thoughtful solid aulus had not become a christian under the influence of the wise and perfect pomponia how could vinitius become one there was no answer to this save one that for him there was no hope and no salvation she drew back with terror at the perception that the sentence of destruction which hung over him in lieu of alienating him from her rendered him through very compassion the dearer at times she longed to speak to him frankly of his dark future and once as she sat beside him she dared to tell him that there was no life outside of christianity he had now grown stronger he lifted himself up with his sound arm and suddenly laid his head in her lap saying thou art life breath failed her at that moment consciousness left her a shiver of delight ran through her from head to foot taking his forehead between her hands she strove to lift him but meanwhile bent so that her lips touched his hair for a moment they weltered in the intoxication of the moment then awoke to struggle against themselves and against love which urged them together lygia rose at last and ran away there was fire in her veins and a giddiness in her head but this was only the one drop that overflowed the cup filled already to the brim vinitius did not divine the price which he would have to pay for this moment of happiness but lygia saw that she needed saving from herself 
she spent a sleepless night in tears and prayers feeling that she had no right to pray and that she would not be heard next morning she rose early and summoning crispus to the vine-covered arbor there opened out her heart to him praying him to let her leave miriam's house since she had lost confidence in herself and found it impossible to conquer her love for vinitius crispus aged severe ever immersed in religious ecstasy assented to her desire for flight but could find no words of forgiveness for a love which seemed sinful in his eyes his heart filled with wrath and horror at the very thought that lygia whom he had watched over since the moment of her escape whom he had loved whom he had confirmed in the faith and on whom he looked as a white lily growing in the soil of the christian creed undefiled by any earthly breath could have found a place in her heart for any but a heavenly love he had thought that in the whole world there did not exist a heart more purely and sincerely devoted to the glory of christ it was his desire to offer her to the redeemer as a pearl a jewel rounded and perfected by his own hands hence this disappointment filled him with amazement and bitterness go and implore god to pardon thy guilt he said gloomily flee ere yet the evil spirit who hath tempted thee bring thee down to utter ruin ere yet thou renouncest the saviour god died on the cross for thee with his own blood to redeem thy soul but thou hast elected to love him who plotted to make thee his concubine god miraculously saved you from his hands and now thou openest thy heart to impure desire and beginnest to love the son of darkness who is he a friend and servant of antichrist a participant in his debauchery and crimes whither will he lead thee save to the abyss to that sodom in which he himself abides but which god himself will annihilate with the flames of his wrath i say to thee it were better that thou hadst died that the walls of this dwelling had fallen upon thy head before this man crept into thy heart and contaminated it with the poison of his depravity he grew more and more excited for lygia's love filled him not only with wrath but with contempt and loathing for human nature in general and for female nature in particular even christian teaching could not save women from eve's weakness it meant nothing to him that the maiden was still pure that she wished to flee from temptation that she confessed her love with remorse and shame crispus had wished to make an angel love her to lift her to heights where no love existed save that of christ and lo she had fallen in love with an augustale the very thought filled his heart with horror intensified by disappointment and disillusion no she was beyond pardon words of contumely burned his lips like live coals he sought to stifle them but he shook his withered hands over the affrighted maiden lygia acknowledged her guilt but not to that degree she had imagined that her flight from miriam's dwelling was a victory over temptation and a minimizing of her guilt crispus ground her into the dust showed her a baseness in her soul which she had not hitherto suspected she had even hoped that the old presbyter who from the time of her escape from the palatine had taken the place of a father to her might show her some compassion console her encourage her and strengthen her i would fain offer up to god my disappointment and my 
pain but thou hast cheated the saviour himself for thou hast descended into a slough whose exhalations have poisoned thy soul thou mightest have offered it up to christ as a precious vessel saying fill it o lord with grace but thou hast preferred to offer it to the servant of the fiend may god forgive thee and show thee mercy as to me until thou cast out the serpent i who deemed thee a chosen he stopped short realizing that they were not alone through the withered vines and the evergreen ivy he saw two men one was the apostle peter the other he failed to recognize, for a mantle of coarse woven stuff known as Cilicium hid a portion of his face. For a moment Crispus thought this was Chilo. At the sound of Crispus's voice they approached the summer-house, and entering sat upon the stone bench. Then Peter's companion uncovered his thin face. The sides of his head were covered with curly hair, which grew thinner at the top, his eyelids were red, his nose crooked in his homely yet inspired countenance crispus recognized the features of paul of tarsus lygia throwing herself on her knees despairingly embraced the feet of peter and hiding her weary little head in the folds of his cloak remained there in silence peter said peace be with your souls and seeing the child at his feet he inquired what had happened then crispus told of lygia's confession of her sinful love of her intended flight from miriam's abode and his sorrow that the soul which he had wished to offer to christ as pure as a tear had been contaminated by earthly feelings for a participant in all those crimes in which the heathen world was sunk and which called for the avenging wrath of god while he spoke lygia clung the more closely to the apostle's feet as if seeking a refuge there and to supplicate for mercy the apostle listened till the end then bending down and placing his emaciated hands on her head he turned his eyes upon the aged presbyter and said crispus hast thou not heard that our beloved master was present at the wedding in cana where he blessed the love between woman and man Crispus's hands fell. He stared with amazement at the speaker, powerless to utter a word. After a moment of silence Peter continued, Crispus, thinkest thou that Christ, who suffered Mary Magdalene to lie at his feet and forgave the adulteress, would turn from this child, who is as pure as a lily of the field? Lygia, sobbing, nestled closer to Peter's feet, understanding that she had not sought a refuge in vain the apostle lifting up her tear-stained face said until the eyes of him thou lovest are opened to the truth shun him lest he induce thee to sin but pray for him and know that there is no guilt in thy love nay since thou wishest to flee temptation this will be accounted a merit to thee grieve not weep not i say to thee that the grace of the saviour hath not left thee and that thy prayers will be heard and that after sorrow will come days of joy with these words he laid his hands on her head lifting up his eyes he blessed her from his face shone a supernatural charity crispus repentant now sought humbly to justify himself i have sinned against charity he said but i thought that the admission of an earthly love in her heart was a denial of christ thrice i denied him interrupted peter yet he forgave me and commanded me to feed his sheep and because vinitius is an augustale continued crispus 
Christ hath softened stonier hearts than his, urged Peter. Then Paul of Tarsus, who had hitherto kept silent, put his finger to his breast as pointing to himself, and said, I am he that persecuted and harried to death the servants of Christ. I am he who at the stoning of Stephen kept guard over the garments of the stoners. I am he who would have rooted out the truth in all parts of the inhabited earth. Yet none the less the Lord foreordained me to preach it all over the earth. I have preached it in Judea, in Greece, on the islands, and in this godless metropolis, where on my first visit I was cast into prison. And now, when Peter, my superior, hath summoned me, I will enter this dwelling to bow this proud head before the feet of Christ, and sow the seed within that stony soil which the Lord will fertilize, so that it may yield an abundant harvest. He raised himself to his full height. To Crispus this little hunchback seemed at that moment what he was in reality, a giant who was to shake the world to its center and win over the nations and the countries. End of Part 2, Chapter 5